Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan. You're not feeling well again. Well, no, I feel pretty good right now. We're just passing this crud back and forth. Oh my God, it's just my life now. Brand new year, brand new crud that you're never going to get rid of. This is just life, right? Yes, yeah, just, okay. yeah, mucus is my life. Yay, we'll just sit in it. We have our live show coming up. Oh my God, I'm we so excited. We are just a week away from the live show. And we've already sold quite a few tickets. I mean, we're more than halfway sold out. Uh, yeah. If you want to get tickets to our live show in Asheville, North Carolina on Saturday, January the 18th at Fleetwoods, got to get those tickets now. I'm wondering if we're going to sell out completely. Well, I, well, by the time the people come to the door, like I said, that's me. I always show up at the door of a place. I never pre-buy. I have a feeling people might get turned away. This is very exciting. Yeah. I'm... I've been working on trying to get us some merch for the show. We've been deep diving into this case. Yes. Brand new case for the live show. You gotta come check it out. It's, it's gonna, gonna be so much fun to get to meet some of our mountain murder family. I know, and I actually checked the attendees list on the Brown Paper Tickets website to see who's coming to the show. Interesting. Some people we don't know. Some strangers to us. Really? Yes. Yeah, so we're gonna have a great opportunity to make some new friends. Oh, that's awesome. Have some drinks. Can't wait. I know, right? Let's go ahead, dive into the, I'm using the word dive a lot. We're going to dive head first into this case. Now, I have to tell you guys, this case is the one that propelled me to put together mountain murders. Oh, wow. I heard about this case. I read the book. I got really into it. And I was like, I've got to do a true crime podcast. This has to be my very first case. Well. Then I started writing one of the players in the case. Who oh. happens to be in prison. We'll get into that. I don't want to give too much away. But we had a little bit of a correspondence. He's trying to get him to talk to me. Would you send him pic naked pictures? He's like old. But Ooh. anyway. He still um, wants to probably see some naked pictures. I don't know if his eyesight's that good, honey. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give him a heart attack. But like, uh, can I get some de intimate details about your case? Oh, I'm sorry. Just say, they're real and they're spectacular. They're oh, I want to see those. <laughs> you do all the time. Okay. So this case, I'm very excited to finally bring to Mountain Murders. It's taken me a while to write it up. I wanted to make sure we had the full story, all the good details. Are you ready, Dylan? Yeah, let's just go straight into this one because I want to hear all about it. I know. You're pretty excited, too. I'm pumped. There's a perception, especially in sex crimes against women, that the victim is at least partially responsible for the wrongdoing or the harm that befell them. Right. I hate see that. see that all the time. It's disgusting. It is a prejudice against victims. Often victims are re-traumatized if they have to go into court. It's a secondary type of victimizing where we minimize the severity of what happened to them, doubt the truthfulness, and then blame the victim. Yeah, or at the very least, they're going to have to relive this horrible moment in public. But all that other stuff is what happens. And every time, me and you've talked about this time and again, this is why you see women drop charges, women not take it to trial, come to some kind of an agreement with the prosecution. For this very reason, because they're going to get shredded by the defense, slut sh you know, slut-shamed, and why were you wearing that? Why were you out that time of night? Oh, how many partners have you had? All this stuff that does not matter. You know, has nothing to do with what this asshole did to the victim. But that happens every time, and it totally disgusts me. We'll find, throughout the story I'm about to tell you, many of those same overtones uh, come, come oh along with this case. Okay. And our case today is no different, though it did occur 49 years ago, so almost 50 years ago, in Madison County, North Carolina. So that hasn't changed, that whole 
treating victims like that happens to this day. Nancy Dean Morgan was born January 15, 1946 in Texas. She was the daughter of Colonel Earl Adams Morgan and his wife Abigail. Nancy definitely lived a very middle-class life. She was the second daughter of three children. Like a lot of military brats, Nancy moved with her family from base to base. She spent some time in Europe, living in West Germany, where her father held a very prestigious job as Director of International Law for the U.S. Air Force in Europe. He had a high security clearance, and CIA officers were often dinner guests, you know, just popping by. Yeah, that's a pretty high position right there. (laughs) Nancy was a gifted student, especially in languages. She picked up enough German to be able to speak it rather fluently, as well as French. She was in high school classes with... Priscilla Bolu, who famously dated, then married Elvis Presley Oh, while she was in West Germany. Her high school years were pretty typical of that time. She was like a bobby soccer in the little saddle shoes who liked music and sock hops. The quintessential what you think of growing up in like the 50s and early 60s. That also always looked like so much fun. The young people were having a lot of fun back then. You know, I actually wrote a paper once for um, a class on youth culture in the 1950s. Oh, wow, did you? completely changed okay. um, our society. Because it wasn't until that period of time that people looked at kids as um, consumers that things started being targeted towards... Oh, yeah. I mean, there's like a whole bunch of stuff about Oh, yeah. It. I've watched about like the dance shows and like Dick Clark and all that stuff. Yeah, that that's when they really figured out, hey, we can target these kids directly through advertising, things like that. And yeah, that was a big, that was a big deal. And up until that point, it was like kids were to be seen and not heard. Yeah, Dick you Clark... You were basically born to work on the family farm. Right. Your parents didn't really give a shit what you had to say. You know what I mean? It was yeah. like, just shut your mouth and do what I tell you. But this period of time really kind of changed the face of American youth culture. Right. So she was like engulfed in this, you know, loving the Elvis, loving the early rock and roll, little poodle skirts, that kind of thing. Nancy graduated from Mount Vernon High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and attended Radford College, where she earned B's in health, English, and psychology. It was during this time... She fell in love for the first time, but suffered a pretty tough breakup. What do they say? The first cut is the deepest. Oh, somebody's saying that. (laughs) Right? She dropped out of college and went to work at a ski resort in the Blue Ridge Mountains. She eventually did go back to school. Her father urged her, you need to finish your education. You're a very bright girl. You got to do something besides be a ski bum. I mean, he's a very disciplined army dad. Well, very accomplished person as well. So she graduated from Southern Illinois University with a degree in social welfare, where she was on the dean's list. Nancy was very interested in the civil rights movement. Her friends said she often talked about wanting to make a difference in the world. Okay. Again, being a product of her time, getting caught up in the 60s. In 1970, Nancy was an anti-poverty volunteer with the VISTA program, Volunteers in Service to America. And so looking into this program, I guess it's kind of a bit like AmeriCorps today or Job Corps, but the VISTA program really focused on very poor areas, such as Appalachia. The workers would come in, they would help do community organizing, maybe try to bring um, knowledge about health, you know, medical care, dental care, 
um, you know, basic just sort of hygiene, taking care of yourself, you know, things like that. Yeah, these uh, communities surrounding us right now, the infrastructure and stuff's way behind. Could you imagine back then? I mean, I, I bet there's literally like dirt roads everywhere. Oh, and, definitely. You know, no no kind of uh, infrastructure at all. I mean, just a little town store, you know, dry goods store, literally still happening. Some say it was after reading the book Christie by Catherine Marshall that she really felt compelled to kind of take up this type of work. Christie is also a book about, I guess, a young woman who goes to kind of a rural area, is trying to help the people there. So she's feeling really inspired. Her work with Vista included setting up a thrift store and helping with children. She would set up a lot of different um, programs and events for kids, kind of try to set up like in these very rural areas, like kind of a little bit of a community center. Yeah. Like if there was an old abandoned cabin or something, hey, can we clean this up? Would hold, hold socials, you know, little get-togethers, kind of um, groups or clubs for kids. Yeah, the community centers are very important to these small towns back then, especially because uh wasn't a lot of entertainment and places for people to gather together. Exactly. Vista was a one-year commitment. When our story takes place, she really only had a few more weeks in the program as she had planned to begin nursing school in the fall of 1970 in New York. Nancy spent 10 days training for Vista in Atlanta, and once she was finished with that, they assigned her to Madison County, North Carolina. By all accounts, Nancy was quite a liberal. Her political awareness developed during the tumultuous 1960s. People described her as an extrovert. She was very outgoing, never met a stranger, and was very self-confident. People took notice of her because she walked with, as they say, what, chin up, tits out? Like, she was just well, tight, yeah. you know? Yeah, and even women were uh, put in their place, if you will, back then. And so you got this bright, smart, young woman who uh, has, a, you know, has a path she wants to take and then wants to help people. And that's automatically not only the rural, rural I can't say it. Rural. Rural, rural areas, but you're going to have the, the racial you know, issues come starting to come up, the civil rights movement. She's seeing all this stuff happening, and she wants to be right there in the middle of it. And, I mean, many people probably would have described her as a feminist. Well, yeah, yeah, and that was scary to... was very scary. Scary and, to the men as well back and then. And all of this will come into play in our story. Okay. She enjoyed things like bowling, attending a Loretta Lynn concert in Asheville while she was working in Madison County. Nancy was known to joke with men of all ages which often made her threat to local married women. Though Nancy was very sensitive, she recognized the poverty all around her, but she never came off as better than the people she was trying to help. Right. She just wanted to be very relatable and down-to-earth to these people. Right. And so she really tried hard not to come off as snobby or, I think, I'm better than you. Madison County, if you don't know, is probably one of the most interesting, least known, and misunderstood counties in Western North Carolina. There are 16, like, westernmost counties in our region, Western North Carolina. We live in Haywood, which is one of those. And Madison is a neighboring county. 55,000 acres of pristine national forest. The world's third oldest river, the French Broad, cuts through the area. Famously known for hot springs, North Carolina. Max Patch, one of the most beautiful amazing areas my favorite hiking spot panoramic 360 views fucking gorgeous max patch i've never been up there. right off the appalachian trail so a lot of 
people who do Appalachian Trail hiking, Max Patch is a huge destination point for them. Um, just gorgeous. And then, of course, Mars Hill College, which I think now goes by Mars Hill University. Ooh. But it's still a rural place with generations of families who've never left. By June 1970, Nancy had taken a group of kids to the Mars Hill College swimming pool. While at the pool, she bumped into her friend Ed Walker, another Vista worker who brought another group of young people from the Spring Creek community. Okay. Which is in Madison, really out there. Yeah. What you got to understand about Madison County is ain't nothing close. It's still that way. You, if you live in Spring Creek, it's probably going to take you 30 minutes to get down into Hot Springs. Yep. Going to take you probably 45 minutes or maybe an hour to drive down into Marshall. There's not a straight road around. Curvy-ass roads. Yeah, narrow. Narrow, two-lane. No, uh, no gas stations. Up on the stations, side of a mountain, a no lot of anything. them. I mean, Hardly a, any houses. It's a pretty rugged, still pretty rugged area. It's beautiful. It is gorgeous. But there's nothing out there. A lot of motorcycle, um, like cyclists or, uh, you know, bikers really like that area. It's right. like the Moonshiner, I think, is the, the road that they take. Well, yeah, they can cut across. It goes across. from Haywood County into Madison. Yeah, and then you can shoot off right straight into Tennessee. Yeah. At this time that they meet up, Walker invites her over to dinner on Sunday. Saturday evening, Nancy had a friend, uh, Ruth Hensley, who was uh, another woman living in the area that was not local to the area that had married a service member who was serving in Germany. Her husband was coming back and was being stationed in Charleston. Nancy had invited Ruth and her two kids over for dinner and to spend the night. Ruth and her kids were leaving the following Sunday morning for Charleston, where her husband had the new assignment. So they were going to be, you know, moving. Permanent change of duty station. And because Ruth and Nancy were friends, Nancy insisted, you need to come over, spend the night. I want to drive you to the bus stop. So she can see her friend one last time. Let me take you to the bus station. Right. Don't get a cab. Don't get a ride. Let me take you, you know, because this was the kind of person Nancy was. The two stayed up late. They got up early, and then Nancy drove the trio to Marshall to catch the bus. By 5.30 that evening, Nancy had made her way to Bluff, which is the area where Ed Walker lived. The two strolled the property when she arrived. He showed her the barn, the well, the spring, and the woods surrounding the place. He's living in this old mountain cabin. This is all very fascinating to them. They did not come from this area. So being surrounded by this beautiful mountains and this really old timey way of living. I mean, a barn. It was novel. A spring, a spring house. Right. That's not stuff you see every day. Yeah. The pair picked some lettuce and onions from the garden. Nancy cooked omelets and some lettuce wilted in bacon grease, which we like to call around here. That's kilt lettuce. Oh, I, okay. I didn't know Have you ever that. had kilt lettuce? No. Yeah, you You're countryer than I it's am. It's true. Kilt lettuce. Somebody out there knows about it. Two neighborhood kids stopped by, and the four ended up watching a movie, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World, on TV. <laughs> the nightly news came on, which was probably around, you know, maybe 10 o'clock or so, and that's when the kids left. Nancy and Ed Walker sat on his porch. She was drinking cream sherry. Ooh. <laughs> They discussed their jobs, difficulties with community organizing in Madison County. She explained she had received her cap and uniform for nursing school in the fall, was telling him her plans to go to college in New York for nursing. She was just really excited about her future. Walker said her mood was really upbeat. She'd been feeling as though her life had kind of been in limbo while she was living in the Shelton Laurel area, Madison County. The prospect of nursing school in New York just really made her happy. Well, yeah, she's going to go from the exact polar opposite of where she's been 
But it sounds like she always wants to be somewhere and helping people. Exactly. But she's going from rural to big city, so that must be exciting for her. Or at least, well, New York State. I mean, it's a little different. Oh, okay. It was around 3.30 a.m. when Nancy finally departed Walker's house. He turned her car around because he had a really steep driveway. So he even, like, turned her car around, backed it up, and then watched his friend disappear into the darkness as her headlights disappeared. And he had worries about her driving home so late, so early in the morning. Yeah. But, you know, as it's a small town, rumor and gossip flies, so they both didn't feel like it was appropriate for her to stay over. Yeah, people notice things like that. Even in a casual way. In those days, way. yeah. Exactly. By Monday, Richard Hames, who was in charge of the Madison County Vistas, was growing concerned because he couldn't reach Nancy. He wanted to let her know that two tires he had ordered for the 63 government Plymouth she was driving were in. He had not seen Nancy since the Thursday before at a staff meeting. Hames contacted the Sheriff's Department. Sheriff Roy Roberts would later claim he had not been notified of her disappearance. Therefore, there was no official search implemented. By Tuesday, friends in Shelton Laurel and the Sodom area were worried when word got around that no one had seen or heard from Nancy. People began searching the roads, believing Nancy may have wrecked along the treacherous routes around the mountains. I mean, many, as you mentioned, curvy roads. They're dirt roads. They're down in bank, banks. on the, You could literally go off these roads. It's happened in modern times and people not know you wrecked. Exactly. Like you go down the embankment 40, 50, 60, 100 feet and you're just off in a thicket, a laurel thicket or the, down there in the woods and nobody even knows it. Nancy had helped teenagers plan a hot dog fundraiser that evening because, again, she's doing community organizing and she never showed up. Which I'm going to guess is very unlike Exactly. Her. So at this point, and people are really concerned. Like, what has happened to Nancy? Nancy had been planning a 10-day trip that would take her around the country and to visit an old boyfriend. The big boss in Atlanta was more concerned about her missing car. He thought maybe she had decided to start her trip early and just didn't let anybody know. Right. He suggested the car might be at the airport. However, it was not in the parking lot. Because Hames and Walker, they drove to the Asheville airport to see if they could find this car. They're really trying to exhaust every avenue as far as where she might be. On Wednesday morning, a man named Jimmy Lewis was driving from his home in Sodom, which is not far from the Shelton Laurel community. About 9 a.m., he pulled over onto an old, pretty ragged logging road, unpaved. I mean, you can kind of imagine this is going to be a roughed-out, rough-ass road, right? Oh, yeah. He pulls over just far enough where he can get some privacy because he had to go pee. I mean, hey, we've all been there. He noticed something that was like, it had once been like a wagon trail to this road. So he notices something, and he's kind of checking it out. Between two towering oaks and poplar trees, he sees a gray car. Oh, well, that's weird. The wheels were sunk to the hubcaps in the mud. The car had knocked down saplings, like on its route, you know, where yeah. it was found. This area was sometimes known at night as a lover's lane. Lewis walked over to the car, and inside he made a gruesome discovery. Oh, God. Nancy was dead. Her naked body was hogtied from behind in a kneeling position. Nancy's maroon shorts were covering her face. They were ripped in the crotch. Her knees rested on the floor of the back seat. One buttock was kind of resting on the edge of the seat, directly like behind the driver's seat. Um, her face was just 
uh, you know, it's partially covered, but you can see it's not a pretty picture. Well, no, just the way she's bound up there. And her sounds, face is kind of up. Yeah. You know, um, it sounds pretty horrible. She was tied up with a nylon cord. The medical examiner said the tension in the rope would have definitely strangled her if she tried to free herself or even straighten up her body. Oh, my God. Her bra and sandals were nearby in a pile. Her clothes had been torn off. The windows were closed and the doors were locked. So she's locked up in this car. Yeah, okay. She's not going to do that to herself. That's crazy. The body was taken to Memorial Mission Hospital for autopsy where it was determined that Nancy suffered post-mortem sexual assaults. Oh, Jesus. Interestingly enough, this piece of property was owned by the sheriff. He had only months earlier sold it to the U.S. Forest Service. Okay. SBI agents in Asheville and Haywood County were called to Madison County immediately. The FBI was also called in. Now, the jurisdiction is going to end up being a kind of a touchy issue because it's federal land. Sheriff Roberts took the case. And from what I gather, the other agencies kind of let him take the lead. Well, that's amazing. And they were like, hey, we're available. We're a resource. Feel free to use us. We they, yeah. want to help you. But they didn't really want to step on toes. Well, that's a, that's amazing. When you got the SBA, the State Bureau of Investigation and the Federal Bureau, they're always wanting to have pissing contests. Well, this is the early 70s, too. I mean, you've got to realize this is still kind of fresh to have yeah, maybe the ten, these the, those. officers and agents around, and they were so <laughs> spread out. I mean, they only had one agent in Asheville, and the other agent for Western North Carolina was in Haywood County. That's true. That's true. So you true. had like two SBI agents for the 16 most Western counties. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I guess maybe those pissing contests hadn't been outlined so much so back then. Well, it seems like, yeah, you're right. After Nancy's death, details of her life were flashed before the public. This is where we're going to get into this court of public opinion. Uh, uh, why? This poor girl. Oh, my God. I mean, to find her like that and to imagine what her last mo moments, hours on this earth were like. Why in the hell? Who deserves that? I mean, really? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm already mad. I'm sorry. Her landlady discussed finding Kentucky bourbon, white lightning... Oh, my God. ...in Nancy's cabinet, as well as beer cans in the trash. Good God. A paperback called Sexual Deviance was discovered among her personal items... Oh, in Jesus. ...in her cabin. I, I bet they couldn't quit talking about that. A pair of black panties with red lace were discovered... Late in Nancy's college career, she'd had an affair with a married professor, gotten pregnant, and had an abortion. She was fairly open about telling the story. Word had spread around Madison County about this abortion. Because, you know, she's dealing, Nancy's dealing with a lot of teenage girls. She would openly suggest, well, you know, you could always get on birth control pills, which was still kind of a thing in, right. in these very conservative areas. Like, ooh, right. that's a sin. And tell these girls, like, you don't have to be a teenage mother. There are options. Or you don't have to be connected to this man if you don't like him. Right. Or if that you're not going to have help with the baby. Or So that was some juicy tea, as our girls would say. Well, just being more liberal back then and, and a young lady who kind of, you know, like you described her, presenting herself, you know, with her chin up and probably didn't take any guff off anyone. So, yeah, she's, I mean, these are strikes against her in public opinion already. It seemed that people in the community were trying to justify Nancy's murder. I found an editorial that was written in the local paper calling her death Mountain Justice. 
and noting that immoral outlanders were often taken care of by the local people. Holy shit, they used the word outlander? Yes. Immoral outlander? Outlander! Outlander! Makes me think of Children of the Corn. Oh my god. But so, and they printed that bullshit? They did. Okay. While in the VISTA program, though there were strict rules about dating, Nancy had gone out with a man she later found out was married. That was a local. Well, that's on the do. Madison County. Yeah, but come on. You know it's her fault. Nancy's flirty nature gave people the wrong impression about her, and even before she was murdered, a lot of the local men called her a teaser. Yeah, they probably went home and thought about her, because they're old prude-ass wives in there, they're making some sorry-ass kilt lettuce they don't like. <laughs> <laughs> An incident at a square dance came up about how Nancy was allegedly drinking beer she sat on a young man's lap who himself had a pretty unsavory reputation about town. She was tipsy, flirty. Oh my God. Nancy was definitely a liberated woman of the 60s, and the people of Madison County were incredibly conservative. Right. Had a very traditional, old-timey way of thinking. Right, and I say that was throughout the whole country, but even more intense in areas like Madison County. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ed, we still have people who think that now. Yes. Ed Walker, her co-worker, was questioned by investigators. He told them the two shared a casual friendship, but never had a sexual relationship. He was informed that he was a prime suspect because he was the last person to see Nancy alive. Oh, thanks for that. At one point, he's given a polygraph test, which the SBI agent tells him he failed and showed that he had killed Nancy. The damn, the, of this damn they must have had the real polygraph back then. According to the FBI files, the test showed textbook signs of deception. Theories were presented that Nancy agreed to be tied up in a consensual sex game that had gone wrong. Perhaps even some sort of orgy scenario. Jesus. What the freaking hell, man? I mean, this is hard to even believe that they went this far with all of it. So Sheriff quickly. Roy Roberts told investigators he believed whatever happened to Nancy was consensual. Yeah, okay. Murder me. There were no signs of foul play. That's what he's saying. She's hogtied, dead, in the back seat of a locked car. No, this is all what he's okay, saying. Okay, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Okay, okay. Whatever happened to her was consensual. There were no signs of foul play, and friends had told him that Nancy was into being whipped and tied up during sex. How does his friends know? But none of her friends actually said that. Rumors swirled about this alcohol-fueled sex party. When they just watched the movie and had a little bit of sherry and talked about their careers? Yeah. Okay. Earl Morgan, Nancy's father, told investigators that he thought his daughter's death was the Klan or maybe like a white supremacy group. He believed Nancy was targeted for her pro-civil rights support in this area, which had, you know, probably made her some enemies. Well, that's, that's more plausible than this other bullshit I'm hearing. Okay, here's where the story starts to get a little complicated. Okay. I'm going to try to break this down for you. All right. E.Y. Ponder was the sheriff in exile. He was out of office for a term. He was ousted when Republicans and Reform Democrats backed Roy Roberts. His brother, Zeno, was the chairman of the county Democrat Party. Oh. Many considered Ponder the real sheriff in town. Therefore, many tips about this crime, including Nancy's murder, were passed on to him first. Oh, okay. So he was like the filter. 
and he would kind of decide what he thought was important or not important and if he wanted to pass on a tip or some information he might do it i mean from what i gather ey ponder and his brother zeno kind of ran madison county i'm not gonna say kind of ran it they ran it (laughs) we kind of run madison county i love those names though names I mean, they Zeno Ponder. They definitely what up, had a lot of clout, a lot of influence in the county. Okay, Ponder had a huge network of informants throughout the county. He was known to selectively enforce rules and went light on good old boys in the community based on if he knew the family or he liked their politics. Hey, that still happens to this day in small towns. That's why you get so many of those Isn't stereotypes about small town sheriffs. Yeah. In the good old boys network. If if, it happens. Roberts, that was in charge of this investigation, he would serve only one term and then the torch was going to be passed back to E.Y. Ponder. Oh, so it's it's almost like they slipped up. He accidentally got in as far as the most of it sounds like the community is concerned. But they want to put the Democrat back in? Yeah. Basically? That's interesting. Oh, wait. But things were so... er, The dynamics were different. Everything was a little... You know what I mean? Republican, Democrat. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, this area was primarily a blue right. area for years and years. It's only been in like the last 15 or 20 years that Western North Carolina has made a shift to being red. Well, yeah, but I mean, even red and blue meant different things, different well, elements. Well, I mean, you still I mean, had some of those old diehard Southern the Democrats blue dogs. that were more like the Dixiecrats. Yeah, right. And the 60s kind of shifted Yeah, the views and the identity politics of the democrat party so it really doesn't change the dynamics you got his he's the good he's the one the good old boys the been the sheriff the sheriff and his brother you know they're they're like you said running shit even when he's not in office so okay so he's the um is this this is like the quintessential small town what you would expect yeah okay if we're gonna stereotype a small rural mountain town. Well, stereotypes have grains of t- truth. Well, they do. Some usually. I mean, they're a real time saver if you think about it. <laughs> oh, hey. <laughs> hot zing. take, hot take. It is a hot take. Damn. Don't at me. Or you can. I'll just make fun of you. And let's pause for a moment to talk about Mountain Murder sponsor, Peachy Clean WNC. Peachy Clean offers wonderful cleaning services for your home, office, or vacation rental property. From maintenance to deep cleaning, Peachy Clean delivers. Peachy Clean does such a great job, they'll never know there was blood on the floors or the walls. Ha ha ha. Nervous laughter. But really, she does a fantastic job, and what I love about Peachy Clean is the care and attention. She uses all-natural cleaning products, which are environmentally friendly and safer for your children and pets. To schedule a free estimate, call 828-646-7861 or email peachycleanwnc at gmail.com. And that's clean with a K. Again, that's peachycleanwnc at gmail.com. Johnny Waldrop was known around town as, Dylan likes to call these folks, a shitbird. Oh my God, I can't believe he says stereotype save time. Okay. Yes, oh, so Johnny's a shitbird. Well, you're a white male, and I would say that's a good stereotype of you, and it saves a lot of time. Oh. Okay. Okay. So, so what's a shitbird doing? He's a shitbird. He had done stints in reform school, uh-huh. had been in and out of jail. People called him a chicken thief because he was known to steal anything he could find from neighbors. Hey, and taking somebody's chickens literally was a big deal back then still. On the Monday morning of Nancy's disappearance, he had shown up at Ed Walker's home to wake him. Ed confirmed as much. 
but it was years later, 1984. So we're talking 14 years after Nancy's murder. Okay. Which has remained a cold case for 14 years. Damn. At this point. Waldrop was facing jail time. So he decides that his story about what happened on that morning had just, we're going to drastically change. He was facing state prison for violating probation. He decided it was time to finally come clean and divulge details in the Nancy Morgan case. His conscience. He told the sheriff, E.Y. Ponder, that Nancy was killed by Ed Walker. Jeez. In 1984, Walker was living in Florida. 14 years after this, he's moved on with his life, right? He's working for a Dodge dealership. Pretty successful guy. He's married, has a daughter, lives in a condo, owns another house. Oh, damn. A boat. I mean, you know, he's living the dream, right? He's doing a damn thing. He's living in Florida. He gets charged with rape, obstruction of justice, and first-degree murder. Just off what this one shipbird said when he's finally facing some significant prison time. His life immediately hurtles downhill. He lost everything. He lost his two houses, his boats, cars. His wife lost her job. I mean, this whole man's life is just fucking rattled. It goes to trial. At trial, Johnny Waldrop testified that he had spent Sunday night hanging out at his house, and that's when he heard some weird noises coming from his neighbor Ed Walker's home. He goes over, gets inside the house, and that's when he sees Nancy on the couch. Another man was in the house as well, but he doesn't know who that man was. Nancy was naked with a cord around her neck, hands, and feet. He said when he tried to help her, Walker punched him in the nose, then threatened him. Walker forces Waldrop to drive Walker's car as Walker drives Nancy's car to this desolate road where she ends up being found. Why did you say this shit 14 years ago, dude? There's my question. Nancy, this deceased woman, victim of this crime, she, you know, her whole reputation is on trial. Jeez Louise. They bring up all these stories of her promiscuity, alcohol use. Black panties with red lace. Yes. I mean, they're talking about her undergarments. I know. I'm like, what is this, a Steve Miller song? <laughs> black, was it black panties with an angel face? Abra, abra. Okay, I'm sorry. Oh, man, is that how that goes? Yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I'm like an encyclopedia of song lyrics. Yeah, you know I fuck them up. <laughs> they, I mean, they even had her landlady on the stand. Talking about the liquor and all this mess. Her questions like, had Nancy ever asked you if male visitors overnight were acceptable at her house? And well, I'm saying who didn't have a jug of shine in their damn cabinet? I bet every damn house through there has a, shot, a jug of damn white liquor in the cabinet. It's what we do around here. I mean, everybody's got a court. I mean, eventually the judge agrees to drop the rape charges as there was no physical evidence tying Walker to the assault, but continued on with the murder charge. And this whole trial was just bungled. Sounds it. They didn't have shit. Yeah, you got this one star. And I went even up, I don't know, a lot of them damn cases that are getting turned over nowadays were back during this time with some sorry-ass eyewitness accounts. And they had people in jail for them 25, 30 years. Eyewitness, it's human nature. Even if you're trying to do the right thing and you think what you saw, eyewitness testimony is notoriously unreliable for many reasons. The defense does a pretty good job of tearing Johnny Waldorf a new one. I'm sure. I mean, they 
pretty much embarrass this guy on the stand. They paint him as, that, here you are, you're just saying this to try to save your own ass. Right. And, Which seems, I mean, but they brought him later in interviews say that he felt basically like he was completely humiliated on the stand. Good. Yeah. Because I'm going to guess you should be, because you're a fucking shitbird and you started early. But they brought him back to Madison County for the trial, right? Oh, yeah. He had so to you leave got everything in Florida. Super con- he had to sell everything he owned, lost his job to try to pay for a lawyer. Right. His wife ended up losing her job. Devastated his family. It did. I mean, it really, at one point, when they were up here and this trial was happening, he was saying that he and his wife had like $25 between the two of them. But then you got this jury of your peers, which is, uh, you, I think, a ironic and many times it's a very ironic statement because a lot of times that jury is not the defendant's peers in any manner but you got this very conservative jury right and they're hearing all these salacious details things that you can't unring that bell right once you say these things even if it's objected and struck from the record they're gonna keep thinking about a bunch of old biddies. They're gonna be thinking about them black panties with and the, red the, oh, the men's gonna be on there talking about, oh but then the women's gonna be like oh my god harold and, you know, and then, yeah, oh, I could only imagine sitting there staring at all these super conservative old old white people. I'm going to probably oh, a lot of old well, white yeah, people. I'm, sure. I'm saying, like, who else even does jury do? Besides There's old not white people? a whole lot of diversity no. in the jury. So, yeah, but I mean, just, be, you know, just to, I, I would not want to be in that defendant chair in front of these people in this case with these details. Fortunately, Ed Walker was found not guilty. Oh, I'm sorry. See, I, I, the the jury did their job. More discussions on this cold case centered on local boys. So after this trial is said and done, Nancy's murder, still a cold case. No new leads, no evidence. They ain't got shit. But all these theories start sort of circulating. Well, there's a monster out there that killed this poor girl. This is where it gets interesting again. Richard Johnson, who happened to be the son of the Hot Springs police chief at the time of Nancy's murder, had a bad reputation for being rowdy, a firebug. Uh-oh. He liked to set fires, and all around, as Dylan would say, a shitbird. Oh, God. Many thought Johnson had something to do with Nancy's murder. Even after she was found, a lot of people were talking. Yeah, but about you this. know that didn't get any damn traction with him, his daddy being the sheriff over there in Hot Springs. The the police chief, not oh the police e, chief. Yeah, Ewa Ponder's I'm so, sheriff. Oh, I'm sorry. So say. he he's a city cop. He's a police he's chief. The, town the cop. police chief. Johnson was widely suspected of sexually assaulting single women who lived alone in the area. I mean, there was a lot of talk about this guy being a rapist. Well, here's your guy. Here's he would. Your guy break in women's homes if they lived alone, rape them if men were out of town. What the hell? He would rape their wives, and the wives were too embarrassed or afraid to come forward, knowing they probably wouldn't be taken seriously. Yeah, but you know that gets around in the, you know, the back, behind closed doors. Those those kinds of things get around. Because of Chief Johnson's relationship with E.Y. Ponder, Richard Johnson avoided prison, was never charged for any of these crimes, even though it was kind of just uh, known that these were the things he was doing. In the late 1960s, Johnson and his buddies kidnapped two women and a boy. They took the boy down to the river, cut his hair, and were dunking him underwater. My God. They raped the woman and the sister, because there's a woman and her sister, raped the woman and her sister, 
Sheriff Roberts had the men charged, E.Y. Ponder, but he went ahead and moved the trial to another county where those charges just disappear. <sighs> okay. Johnson married a woman named Brenda Church, who was only 16. Okay, now here's where things are interesting. Richard Johnson is the guy I was writing. He's, he's in prison, and we'll get to why here in a second. He's the guy I was writing. He was writing this dude? Yeah. That did all this stuff? Yeah. What the fuck? And so we exchanged multiple letters. I was trying to get him to talk to me about the Nancy Morgan case. Yeah. But um, didn't really go anywhere. Oh, yeah? He's a dirty old man. Yeah. He really just wanted me to come visit him in jail or in oh, prison. Oh, really? I, so you should have told him you would not show up. Tell my, why you do that to them women, dude? And my mama was like, let's go! <laughs> I was like, I don't know, mama. Okay, so Johnson married this woman named Brenda Church. She was only 16. So again, he's a pervert. Yeah. The pair had a son named Christopher and a daughter named Joyce. The marriage was turbulent. Brenda was badly abused and left Johnson more than one time. After 13 years of marriage, which brings us to 1984, the same year as Ed Walker's trial, she leaves Johnson. He was awarded temporary custody of his children because, again, Madison County Court said it's who you know and who you blow, right? Uh. In early June of 1984, Leroy Johnson, the former police chief, Richard's father, rushed his 11-year-old grandson to the hospital in Asheville. The boy had been poisoned after exposure to an insecticide, which had been apparently sprayed around the house. Oh, so this no. kid's like really sick, on the verge of death, somehow manages to pull through. June 17th, which is, you know, a couple week later, something like that, five-year-old Joyce was brought to the hospital with pretty much the same symptoms, although she had no pulse and was not breathing. She was blue. She had been vomiting, foaming at the mouth. It was determined that she had been poisoned and seemingly by the same insecticide. Richard had told friends he would rather see his kids in hell as for his wife to have custody of them. Oh, this fucking guy, dude. Johnson was arrested for the murder of his daughter. He was given a life sentence. In 1998, the author Mark Pensky, author of the book Met Her on the Mountain, which I have been using as a big resource for this story, sat down with Johnson in prison for an interview. Johnson said four other men had been involved, three from Hot Springs and one from Shelton Laurel. And here's what Johnson had to say. The Sunday afternoon when Nancy went to Ed Walker's, the men were sitting down by the French Broad River near Hot Springs. They saw Nancy drive by. They were all, you know, hanging out, drinking beer, shooting the shit, and were still there at 3.30 in the morning when Nancy returned and drove past them. The men got this idea that they would follow her. So they got into two cars. They boxed her in on Highway 2570, flicking their headlights on and off. Finally, Nancy stopped her car. One of the men had a 25 caliber pistol, held it on her. They tie her up in the vehicle. Then they drive the three cars, including Nancy's government Plymouth, into Tennessee across the state line. Johnson said Nancy was still alive by Tuesday morning. Now remember, they find her body on Wednesday. And here was my thought. She couldn't have been killed right away right. if she's abducted on a Monday morning and they find her body on a Wednesday and she's in a vehicle with the windows rolled up Yeah. in the heat of the summer. 
I mean, she would probably be kind of funky. But when they find her body, it's still fairly fresh. Well, he must be telling the, I guess, the truth. Well, this is why I'm saying, because I do believe there's some validity to the story. Ponder. Now, remember old Sheriff Ponder? Yeah. Ponder called Richard Johnson and said to him, If Nancy's still alive, you boys better let her loose. What the hell? Yeah. Tuesday night, the men brought her back to North Carolina. Johnson said she was abused in every way imaginable. He didn't give many details on how she died. He said they drove her car into the woods about 1.30 a.m. on Wednesday morning. He admitted that Ed Walker did not kill Nancy Morgan. Johnson claimed that E.Y. Ponder knew what had happened to Morgan within a few hours of her disappearance. He claimed to have raped a number of women in Madison County, including hikers along the Appalachian Trail. Oh my God, he's a monster. So Pinsky, this author, basically gets this confession from yeah. Johnson. He passes his on, passes this on to the State Bureau of Investigation. All Capote style and shit. The SBI chose not to pursue Johnson as the killer, believing he was a psychotic who cried wolf. He just gave you one of the more plausible things that could have happened. And, <sighs> and this is like in the early 2000s. Everybody's supposed to be a little bit woke by then, right? The FBI still believed Walker was responsible for Nancy's murder. Oh, you know what that boils down to? Sometimes this happens in, in high profile, because it sounded like it was a fairly high profile case that carried on in the area at the very least. These fuckers won't, prosecutors and shit and, and local governments will not admit when they're wrong sometimes. And they will keep on and on and on in the face of overwhelming either incompetence or, you know, evidence to the contrary. Oh, my God. The SBI has never tested the DNA, including semen found on Nancy Morgan. In 2000, the forensics had been turned over to the state by the medical examiners. Chris Johnson, the son of Richard Johnson, at one point contacted Mark Pinsky, this writer, and claimed he knew his father's guilt and involvement in the Nancy Morgan murder. He said he had seen some legal papers regarding his father and other sexual assaults in some of his grandmother's belongings, but he didn't have access to it now. But he said his father hogtied and raped another woman, leaving her on the mountainside somewhere in Madison County. M.O. There's an M.O. At at a different point in time. Yeah, And there had been some, you know, I guess some legal repercussions to that. Of course, they went away. See, how many people were hurt? And killed and, and raped. And it doesn't sound like... It sounds like this guy was into torture. I mean, this is... This, this they're sounds very like, sadistic. They're very... I'm, I'm not saying any rape is horrible. But, I mean, this is, sounds extended. This is very sadistic, hours, sexual... Maybe days. Abuse. Yes. This is, a, this is a very horrible. Very, very horrible. Chris Johnson called his father, Richard, the biggest liar in Madison County. Nancy's murder is still unsolved. I mean, was this investigation just completely botched? Is there a cover-up? Who killed Nancy Morgan? Why haven't they tested the DNA with modern DNA testing? But you know what? Why are all those rape kits all, kits all over the country sitting somewhere not getting tested right now? Why? We got this whole damn big pool of DNA, you know, uh, all from all these offenders nationwide. You have this, uh, is it CODIS or whatever they put that against? And they're just sitting there. We why? know why. Because women don't fucking matter. To this day, there's a war on Female women. Female victims There's, do not matter. They do not. 
these investigators, for the most part, courts, we, we don't fucking matter. We're always going to be, uh, you know, victimized in that it's our fault. We right. deserved it. We were asking for it. Right. We were drinking beer. We were wearing a short skirt. Uh, we just happen to breathe and exist and have a vagina. Right. I mean, it's the same fucking song and dance. No, it but it is. It was a song and dance 50 years ago when poor Nancy was murdered, and it's the same song and dance you get today. Well, I'm telling you nowadays, no matter how what you what you believe or how your political leanings, if you can't see that there is a war on women culturally, legislatively, I mean, everybody talks about rights, but then they, it's like, no, we should be in the damn streets for what they do to women and what they do to kids well, nowadays. Well, let's face it. Crimes against women are the only ones where somebody asks, what were you wearing? If you, Dylan, were walking down the street and got mugged and you went to the police, do you think they would ask you, well, what were you wearing when you got mugged? What if some, what if three fucking big ass dudes, because they got to be big and super powerful because I'm a badass guy, hold me down and take my, take me, take my cherry. Oh, God. That would be the fucking end of the world, son. That would be the big. That would be a sensation. They would do something about that, I bet. If Dylan got fucked down by the baseball field in his butt, I mean, if that's, I'm just saying. That's a, I'm just saying. But if it's a woman, it's no, all, it's true. I mean, I studied film pretty extensively, you know, when I was in college and such. And that's the thing. If you even look at like movies, for example, oh yeah, the rape scene in Deliverance, yeah, is still one of the most talked about. Yep consider just horrific scenes and film oh my god because it's a male-on-male rape yep but how many fucking movies out there show women being sexually assaulted attacked raped and it's just oh well it's very dismissed or like we're just desensitized to it yeah it's true so there's a war on women and we and guys women everybody out there we gotta protect our women and i'm not saying that in a manner like they can't protect themselves this ain't from 1940s male point of view it's just it's another citizen it's it's our counterpart in the world and i just don't understand why people don't people just let it happen that like it's no big deal oh i'm just i'm pissed right now this, is this story is so case. sad i feel it's very sad how many more people were hurt and the people that knew then somebody knew something there was an undercurrent of we know that this guy has this mo he does this dirty ass evil stuff to people He'd been doing it, victimizing women in that area for years, I'm sure. And how many more people could have been stopped from being abused, murdered, or there's no telling what else he did? Well, he fucking murdered his own daughter. Do you think that if well, he doesn't I'm saying, give a shit to you got poison the his own kids, the kids just to be vindictive against his ex-wife, more women. that he's going to care to fucking kill, rape and kill a stranger and leave her hogtied in a fucking car? That's some evil shit right Yeah, there. this guy's a fucking piece of shit. And I mean, like I said, I was writing him a bit, but I totally yeah. got the vibe that this man's just a piece of you shit. You should write him one more time and just... Open it when he opens it up. I spray a little perfume on the envelope and stuff. And when he opens it, it just says, you're a piece of shit. You should do that. Well, while we were exchanging correspondence, I often wanted to know or was curious if he thought about his daughter because we were basically the same age. So I would be the age his daughter would be if she were alive. And I was thinking, this guy's writing me. And I'm very close in age, so was he thinking at all like, wow, my daughter's life could have mirrored this person's life? No. Probably. Yeah, my mom was like, I doubt it. No, he, he he's wrapped up inside of his own 
Yeah, he's all about Oh, yeah. Him. So the more we try to talk about this Nancy Morgan thing, the more he tried to say that his confession was fabricated. Uh-huh. He tried pointing the fingers at Nancy's brother and father. Really? That they were involved in her oh, murder. Okay, because that's how that works. Even though they're like miles away. Even though this guy's done all this shit to all these other people, killed his own daughter, and, and he, poisoned his son. And how his, uh, how Nancy's father was involved and probably covered it up because he was such a big to-do. Right. With this security clearance and had all these connections and that if he really wanted that murder solved, he could have done more. He can't, hey, you know he what? He could have done more to solve his daughter's murder. No, I mean, with, with just, all his clout and stuff, he can't penetrate these small communities. He was just spewing, you know, a lot of bullshit. I, and mean, I knew that I was never really going to get any kind of valuable information from him. So I just yeah, kept writing this guy. I've been seeing all this other stuff about something else we're working on. I won't say anything to spoil it. But that you get this, uh, you know, the mountain people don't trust the government. They don't this. They don't that. It's a stereotype. But, but that, the, him being a, 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 what, you know, way up in the army and all that, that's not going to penetrate that little community back then. Right. Ponder and all them, they had way more clout and, and position in that community than anyone from Washington or anywhere else could ever have. Yeah. So yeah, that's not going to work. That's bullshit. You know, write him, tell him he's a piece of shit. Just put shit bird in capital letters. I'll give you his address. No, I'm going to do it. I'm doing this for, <laughs> I'm doing this for everybody. Fuck that guy. Well, I know it's been some years. I mean, we're going on 50 years with Nancy Morgan's murder. That's horrible. But I do hope that with the advancement of DNA technology... It's sitting right there. More interest in cold cases that perhaps at some point... Just test it. The FBI will do a bit more to try to bring some closure to this case. We need to reach out. We need to write a strongly. We need to go to the top. We need to write and ask, why has this not been tested? Well, we're talking about it here on this podcast. Okay. And we have lots of listeners out there with mountain murders. We do. I'm sure that we have some proactive individuals out there. I know we who do. Who might want to make a fuss about it. Oh, my God. We not just, I'm, I'm, And maybe at some point we could all pitch in and help bring justice to this poor young woman and her family, even though... Uh, you know, her parents have passed at this I'll point. I'll pay for the test. But she still I'll tell you has that relatives. Right now. I'll pay for the test. Siblings, testing. probably nieces, nephews, that would greatly appreciate having some closure to I'll this. I'll put that on record. I don't care what it costs. I'll pay for DNA testing right now. Mount Murders will pay for it. I'm not kidding. This is crazy. It's just one of thousands and thousands of cases that this is the case. You have potential evidence and all the modern stuff nowadays and all these damn big networks. And the answer could be sitting right there to give closure to this well, family. Well, the more time passes, the more people who were involved <sighs> or witnesses are dying. are dying. Forgetting. That's so long ago. I mean, this is 50 years ago. She, oh, wow. If Nancy were alive, I mean, she would be 74. Jeez Louise. So most of the people who would have been involved in this are likely, you know, in all their she, 70s. She had her whole life ahead 80s. of her. Yeah. All she wanted to do and was, was help a, people. And she was a do-gooder. I mean, she that's really she wanted, wanted to, do. to make a difference in the world. That's, that's one of those people who, there's no telling what she would have accomplished or to, how many lives she would have touched. She had already touched many lives up to the point when she was uh, brutally murdered. Exactly. <sighs> All right. Well, if you're interested, again, that book is called Metter on the Mountain. And it's I'm going to read Mark it. Penske. I'm going to read I it. I found it at my local library. But really, like I said, this was a case that sparked my interest in finally putting together a true crime podcast. I guess so. Because, I mean, it just kind of wakes a little fire in you, you know, and just, uh, 
And again, there are lots of uh, newspaper articles and such out there. I combed through a lot of the old papers. That's where I found that one editorial. Yeah, that's a great little resource you got there. That was written about, you know, she got what she deserved. Oh my God, that's crazy. It is. Well, again, folks, we have our live show coming up next weekend. January the 18th, Saturday at Fleetwoods in Asheville, North Carolina. You can find tickets at brownpapertickets.com. If you keyword search Mountain Murders, those tickets are selling out pretty quickly. So if you want to come to the show, I'm not going to say you can't get in the day of the show buying a ticket at the door, but you might be turned away. It's a possibility. And that's going to be sad for us because we want to see everybody there. And we really can't believe that people are turning, you know, showing us that they're ready to support us. So we can't wait. You can find us on Patreon. If you go to Mountain Murders on uh, Patreon, sign up for as low as a dollar. You can get a lot of extra content and information there. It's the start of a brand new year, so we do have plans to up the content and make things a little more exciting for our patrons. Again, we appreciate you listening to Mountain Murders. We wouldn't do this without you guys, so have a great week. Bye, y'all. Does your true crime obsession ever make you wonder what lurks in your yard at night? Who might be peeking in your windows? All the time. A quality and affordable fence from Accurate Fence can give you peace of mind. With more than 20 years' experience, the folks at Accurate Fence have seen and done it all when it comes to any style of fence. For more information, visit their Facebook page, Accurate Fence WNC. Accurate Fence not only keeps the kids and dogs in, but also keeps the axe murderers out.